Hi. Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. Last one for me for a week because I'm going on vacation to visit my sister on the West Coast. On this episode, you'll hear from Jeff Hecht, Winnipeg Blue Bombers starting safety as they get ready for the Toronto Argonauts. Also, Kirk Penton from The Athletic will check in. We'll take a look at the entire CFL landscape through seven weeks and try to answer the question, the heck's going on at BC? Also, the MLB trade deadline coming up quick, 3 p.m. Wednesday, so we'll get you set for that with Jamie Bettens of the MJBL on the podcast. Rejoined by Jeff Hecht, safety for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. How are you doing tonight, Jeff? I'm good. How are you doing? Doing well. How would you describe your season so far? We got off to a great start. Um, we played some good football at times, and we played some not-so-good football, and we were still able to come away with some wins, which is really important early in the season. And we're coming off uh, our first loss of the year, which is always nice in the sixth week, and, and we're just ready to get uh, moving on the, the second third of the season now. Now, your coach and GM both said that losses don't help. They never want to lose. Is there any silver lining in a loss? Um, there's positives to be had from a loss, of course. Um, a loss is never a good thing. Uh, to, to me, that's what a loser would say. And, and I try to tell guys that I'm not a loser. A loser will lose and, and a winner will learn from a loss. And this is what we're trying to do. Um, we've, we've managed in our first five games to learn a lot from our winning and things that we could correct through that winning. And uh, unfortunately, we, we weren't able to, to squeak out the win in Hamilton. But, you know, we've approached the week the same way. We, we broke down the film. Um, we saw we did good. We saw we did bad. And we're going to try to increase the good and eliminate the bad and, and you know, move, move on to Toronto now this week. Do you like the fact that you stayed in Ontario between games? I'm going to be honest with you, me personally, no. Uh, uh, I'm a routine guy. I, I have a very structured day, and I like sleeping in my bed, and I like eating the food I eat. And so for me, it's, it's not as much of a benefit, but there are wins to be had to, to touch on the same subject. Um, you know, right down the hall, we I have all the defensive backs, you know, within the four or five rooms right down the hall. We, we've managed to watch as much film together as we normally would at home at the stadium. Um, the facilities at Guelph have been great. Uh, I don't if anybody's been hasn't been down there and is around, they need to go down and check it out. It's it's top notch. It's up there with you know any <clears throat> or most CFL you know teams for sure. So so the the quality of the facilities, the the hospitality that, that has been shown to us by the by the organization here in Guelph and and uh, everything else combined, there there are a lot of victories to be had in, in staying together and having the team stay on the road together. Well, you've played in Montreal, you've played in Calgary, you've played for the Rough Riders, now you've played in Winnipeg. How have you enjoyed your season and a third, I guess, as a Blue Bomber so far? The season's been great. Anytime, you know, we're, in the business, we're not in the business of playing football, we're in the business of winning. And uh, when you're winning this early in the year, it, it makes football a lot more fun. The atmosphere is always more enjoyable for players, for coaches, for um, operations staff, for fans. It, it's, you know, we're here to win. Fans, fans want to see winning. So it's been great this year. Uh, having the opportunity personally to, to have a little more impact on on defense has been great for me at this stage in my career, and uh, I'm really enjoying football, which is um, one of the main reasons I keep playing. You know, at the age I'm at and the, and the tenure I've had, if you know, once football is not enjoyable, it, it it becomes not worth it. You know, being away from home and losing the losing out on a lot of things you lose out on and sacrificing. So uh, it's a huge benefit for me personally that we're winning, and it makes 
you know, this football season a lot more enjoyable and, and it's, you know, worth every step so far. In case people aren't aware of your age, you're, you you know that you're about to turn 34 in a, in a couple of weeks or a few weeks, I should I'm, say, September. I'm very aware. <laughs> I tell everyone I'm the oldest football player on the team. Um, then they mention Medlock and, and Chad Rample also are older than I am. And then I remind them that I'm the oldest football player Ooh. on the team. So. <laughs> Shots fired. Okay. How would you describe your style of foot as a football player? Uh, everything starts with uh, my football mind, in, in my opinion, my, my understanding of the game, my academic approach to the game. Um, this, is a, this is a distinct advantage I've been able to hold over my opponents throughout most of the duration of my amateur and now pro career, as I can, I can be smarter than them. That's where my game starts. And uh, everybody knows – well, not everybody knows. I guess I'd be kind of a, a grand assessment, but most people know who know me know that I'm, I'm a workout warrior. I spend more time in the gym than, than most players could, could handle. So the culmination of my football IQ accumulating over the course of my career and my ability to keep physically fit and, and keep my body performing at a high level is, is culminated now into into a great spot for me to, to take advantage of it, playing a little more on defense. So, But everything for me starts starts between the years. Now, your time in the gym, uh, you mentioned that the amount of time you spend in the gym is something most players wouldn't be able to handle. Is that why you took particular offense to Louis-Philippe Barassa getting a two-game suspension for violating the league's drug policy? I, uh, to be honest with you, I don't know why this one caught so much traction. I've been you know, outspoken against guys who have been caught with uh, performance-enhancing substances in their body throughout my entire career. Um, I do take a little bit of personal offense to it because um, it takes away from guys like me and, and other guys who, you know, have obviously thought about it and thought about the advantages and the advantages are obvious and that's why people do it. So, so for a guy to cross the line and decide that he's going to take the shortcut, it's, I find it offensive as a guy who does the hard work and, and, you know, I work and I work full time in the off season as well. So I work 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week sometimes. And I find time to go to the gym and I find time to train and hit the field and, and do what I need to do. So the excuses to, to, to take PEDs, in my opinion, are not there. I mean, we're not making millions of dollars a year. And um, to take the shortcut to me is, is mildly offensive to me personally. And I think more guys uh, are, are mad about it than, than people think. They just don't want to be as you know honest about it. But honesty is my best policy. And, and I'm never going to stray from that. That's for sure. So um, it's not him personally. It's it's anybody who has taken that shortcut and and, and decided that they, they don't want to take responsibility for it. I, I always take some 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 offense to it. And, and when it comes to anything, I, you know, I'm I'm very frequently making my opinion known on many many subjects. So this is just another subject where my opinion uh, was put out there. And you know, if people agree with it, they agree with it. And if they don't, they don't. And and life goes on. Fair enough. How do you enjoy life with long hair? The long hair thing actually became a, a I became basically growing it ironically. Being um, <clears throat> my now fiance, we're looking for a house, and I, I made the joke that I'm going to have to try to save some money somewhere to afford a house. So I decided to just start with haircuts, and I just haven't had a haircut now in a two and a half years. So uh, it's a lot of work, but I'm not a guy who really cares that much about my appearance because I'm so naturally gifted in that, uh, that okay. respect. So I just, I just let it go. And then 
it's it's annoying at most times, but during a football game, it's fun to have the long hair and whip it back. I know you you like to wet your hair before you come out of the tunnel and just whip it back violently as you run out. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, as a new starter and and the, the tunnel announcement guy, guys are always talking in the in the locker room about what are you going to do when you get announced? What are you going to do? And that was the Triple H was was my go to right off the top, so I decided to go with it. And it seems to seems to be getting some. Some good attention. Fair enough. Tell me about your wolf pack. The wolf pack? Yeah. Oh, the dogs at home, yes. Um, yeah, me and my fiance have two large dogs, and, and actually we got we just adopted our second dog, who was a four-year-old uh, Malmute mix, uh, one day after I left for Winnipeg. So um, she's been mildly overwhelmed training a new dog, just to say the least. But... Um, She's looking forward to, to me coming home on bye week and having her vacation as well. So, uh, no, we like having the large dogs. I'm a winter guy, so we, we need we need dogs that can be outside in the winter, and, and we like large dogs because uh, little dogs are annoying and we hate them. So, yeah, no, we, we like our situation. Nice. Are they rescues? They are. She rescued the first dog uh, I a little over eight years now. Um, when he was a puppy, and we just rescued this other one um, who was about four years old. They say we got we got him a couple months ago now. Nice. Uh, finally, are you aware that uh, there's a jeffhecht.com, uh, a writer that writes about lasers, dinosaurs, and fiber optics? I am. And it's because early in Twitter when I tried to get J- just Jeff Hecht, he popped up, and, you know, it's kind of annoying. And then you realize, like, this guy is wildly accomplished. And he might be one of the one of the premier guys in his field. So it turns out I'm not anywhere near the the best Jeff Hecht out there. So that was kind of humbling. But it's it's good to see that uh, like me, he is portraying an image of success upon the name. He's doing the Jeff Hecht name proud. <laughs> he is, and I am very happy for him. All right, Jeff, I appreciate your time tonight, and good luck on Thursday. Thanks for having me, and uh, go Bombers. Going back to the CFL where week eight begins on Thursday. But before we're going to do that, we're going to look back at the first seven weeks with Kirk Penton of The Athletic. Kirk, how are you doing tonight? Very good, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How have you enjoyed the first seven weeks of the season? I I would say I've been thoroughly entertained. Uh, it's been a little different mm-hmm. than uh, other years, I would say. Uh, you know, a few teams are uh, doing well that uh, haven't done well before some teams that have done well before are not doing well. So it's not the usual Calgary uh, run Calgary runs away with it. And, uh, and no one else does anything. So it's uh, it's been, it's been pretty good so far. Now let's start with Calgary just because they have managed to scrape their way to four and two without Bo Levi Mitchell. What does it say about this team that they still find ways to win, even without their, you know, always in the running for most outstanding player in the league? Yeah, you're probably right. I probably spoke too soon. They're still going to be Calgary when you get right down to it. They got a pretty good coach in uh, Dave Dickinson and, and uh, still a pretty good defense. We, it really looked at the beginning of the year, like they were going to be in trouble after losing Alex Singleton and Micah Johnson in the middle of their defense. But, uh, boy, they really haven't missed a beat. They've hardly, I don't even know if they gave up any, uh, any runs or passes of more than 20 or 30 yards last week, which would mean they still have given up zero 
quote-unquote big plays this year, which is just a stunning statistic. They've been ridiculous on defense. And, uh, yeah, if Bull Levi Mitchell gets that uh, pectoral muscle figured out, it could go back to being the same thing again. Like Calgary, Calgary is still, until, you know, until another team proves otherwise, and we haven't seen Winnipeg play Calgary yet, and we're about to see Edmonton play Winnipeg, I mean, we can't really say just yet that they're uh, not still the top dogs. I don't think it's uh, it's 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 they're playing that well. And you said Edmonton's playing Winnipeg. Edmonton playing Calgary Saturday night. You that's, knew that. That's what I meant. Uh, yeah, I meant yeah. Edmonton finally gets a shot at Calgary. And Edmonton's looked pretty good too. They're four and two. They've only allowed 102 points through six games. Yeah. No. I mean, it's um, it is wide open. I would say uh, a little more than other years for sure because of that so um yeah it's it's it, there's still a lot to be decided and and usually at this stage of the game you can kind of see who the front runner is and who isn't but it's uh because of the scheduling too like some teams have just played nobody and uh, are doing well and some teams haven't played anybody bad yet and they're paying the price because of it so it's uh it's very, you know, I'm I'm hesitant to go out on a limb and say what I say what how I think it's going to pan out because uh, you don't want to be wrong. There's still so much to do, and I really don't think that we've seen the true teams yet. I really don't. Well, can we? We know maybe not who the contenders, top contenders are, but I think we definitely know who who's at the bottom. Toronto, no doubt, is the worst team in the CFL, but BC is giving them a surprising run for their money at one and six. Mike Riley just has nothing going on with they barely move the ball against Saskatchewan. What's going on in BC Kirk Penton? Yeah, it's I mean, is it the money that they spent on Mike Riley? I mean, is that is that the issue? I don't know. There's reports out of Vancouver that, you know, that's not really an issue. They that they paid a ton of money for that offensive line that is not doing a very good job of protecting them at all. I think they had six first downs or something against Saskatchewan. Oh, they've been awful. Don't sugarcoat it. Absolutely. I mean, Brian Burnham is a good receiver. You know, Deron Carter is Deron Carter. He's just a, a, a talent that is wasted, unfortunately. And that's a lot on his own doing. And going into the season, it looked like they had decent talent. So it's it's a little strange in that way that they're playing so bad. Like I'm trying to think, I don't think Toronto has looked as bad as BC did on Saturday night. That mm. BC team on Saturday night against Saskatchewan, I think, was the worst. I was trying to think the last time I saw such a pitiful, a pitiful performance from a team that needed to have a good performance. Oh, I know. Like, and and that's what I'm hearing from people that I talk to around the league is, you know, other coaches are saying it looks like they don't care which is a terrifying thought if you're a, a coach or a general manager in BC. Is that on Devon Claybrooks then? I don't know. I, I guess it could be. I mean, it, it's, I don't know. And it could be the type of player you get to, you know, you got to, when you're a GM, you got to put together players, you got to put together a roster that is going to work together. I mean, you got to do a lot of research and who knows, like Deron Carter as as great as I think a receiver he is, it just doesn't seem like he makes things happen wherever he goes. It's and people are all over him saying he doesn't care. I think I think he's shown a little more effort this year than he did uh, the last couple years. 
it seemed. Uh, I heard nothing but good things about Duran in BC, but, you know, maybe just that mix of, of people isn't working. And you would think that they would want to play for somebody like Devon. He seems like a player's coach. Uh, doesn't seem like somebody who would, you know, be the bad guy and yell and scream and threaten to cut guys. And he might have to start doing that. I mean, it's not working. It's it's just an absolute disaster. And Mike Riley, who came into, you know, came into Vancouver having taken a lot of sacks over the years in Edmonton and, and gained the, uh, the title as the CFL's toughest man. Uh, he's 34 years old. He's not going to be able to take hits like that anymore. There's, he's going to take that one that's going to knock him out for a long time if if this doesn't get fixed. So, I mean, they're just they're playing with fire. Have you heard from anybody that supported Rick Campbell's decision to take a safety last week? Not yet. <laughs> and I've asked a bunch of people, but he is on an island with that one. He's he's never really. I'm trying to think if he's ever really done anything that bad before, and I can't no. think of anything. So he's owned it, though. I mean, you gotta you gotta give him a break. And yes, he has done a very nice job of owning it. So, but you know, you're sitting there and you're like, okay, you're you're doing the math in your head. You're like, okay, they're gonna they're gonna boot this out because mm-hmm. they have Richie Leone, who's the guy who can kick the ball the farthest. He's the he's the he even has a better leg than John Ryan does. I mean, you have the best punter. Sorry, maybe not the best punter. You have the guy with the biggest leg in the CFL as your punter, and you take a safety. I mean, it, it's just it's, it's so it's, obvious. I know it's crazy that that he did not see that. I mean, that's just that's fascinating to me. Like, I would just love to put Raquel down on a couch and go through the the thought process of how he ended up making that decision when it was so clear just to hammer that thing away. Yeah. Calgary had not scored a touchdown in the whole game. Oh, I, I, it's, it's just, I, it I is a mind it. boggling. I mean, it's great. Yeah. Though. It's, it's, it's what makes it fascinating. Cause you know, like you're right. The fan is right. And the coach was wrong. It's mm-hmm. the most clear cut case of absolutely. Of, wow. What are you doing? But right. we'll give him a pass. Cause uh-huh. he's, uh, I think he's still a pretty good. Coach. Oh yeah, he's done pretty well for himself in his years in Ottawa. Is Montreal now the second best team in the East? Are they actually probably going to host a playoff game? Are they the best team in the league, Christian? Well, or sorry, in the East. Okay. Well, with they, Hamilton and Mazzoli out, right? Yeah. I mean, what happens there now? That's that's not out of the realm. I that's mean, true. Dane Evans looked, you know, Dane Evans was, well, he beat the Bombers. He held on, but it wasn't anything that Dane Evans did. I no. mean, it was the defense that got it done. Um, I don't know. I mean, William Standback, having a running game like that has allowed Vernon Adams to shine. And Vernon Adams finally paying off, you know, looking like the guy that everybody said he was when he got up here three years ago. But um, he's now, you know, he, he waited, he, took his turn he got traded about 400 times got released another 12 times <laughs> has finally found a, a home and and he's lighting it up and looking confident obviously other teams are going to get some film on him mm-hmm. and uh you know probably make his life a little more miserable here in the next month or so but uh, if you have stand back running like that i mean that gives Vernon adams the ability to do so much more and give them more time because linebackers are not going to be blitzing as much. They're going to have to be keeping an eye on number 31. And I mean, could Montreal finish first in the East? I, like I said, off the top, 
there's a lot to be decided, but that is now a lot more possible than it was a few weeks ago. Hard to believe, but that's just the changing nature of the CFL, especially with all the quarterback injuries we've had, right? Yeah, we're at, what, 6-9 and nine now? Yeah. We're down. So knock on wood, Winnipeg fans. You know, yeah, it's not good for the league, unfortunately. No. I mean, you'd rather have Bo Levi Mitchell and Mazzoli and all those guys playing, but they still have Harrison Nichols going, so there's still some guys left. And, I mean, Nick Arbuckle. <laughs> He's good. He looks pretty darn good, too. And, yeah, like these new guys are, are doing quite okay. So if Mike Riley can get rid of the football and, you know, get some protection, maybe he'll – Turn it around because Harris, Nichols, and Riley being alive uh, and playing are uh, are three pretty good quarterbacks. So, but yeah, it's 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 one of those years. It was a few years ago, I think three or four years ago, when twenty seven quarterbacks were used uh, in the league, and I would say we're definitely on pace for that number this year. So let's hope it uh, it doesn't get there again. All right, Kirk, I appreciate your time as always. We'll check in later in the summer. All right, Christian, have a good night. And we're going to stick with baseball now as the trade deadline fast approaching for the MLB 3 p.m. Central tomorrow. So before any big trades break, joined by Jamie Bettens, president of the Manitoba Junior Baseball League and big time baseball fan. First, Jamie, tell me about the MJBL season. Uh, it's great. It's, it's winding down right now as we're in the finals, the Elmwood Giants versus the St. Boniface Legionnaires. Elmwood's up two to nothing. Uh, the series takes a break today before uh, continuing on tomorrow night, 7 p.m. at Koski Field. Uh, Elmwood wins, and they are the champs. Otherwise, the series goes on Thursday and Friday as well. Sounds good. So uh, tomorrow is the Major League Baseball trading deadline. First of all, do you like the fact that there's now only one trade deadline? I do. It's a bit of a different year in that it doesn't seem to be a flurry of deals. I think there's a ton of activity and uh, eventually we're going to see a, a trade center, or, you know, like some of these other networks seem to do for hockey. Um, it's now going to create a lot more buzz. Teams can't wait another month to see who's in or out of contention. So with the fact that there's, I think, almost 13 teams within three games of the wild card right now says that there's a lot of teams that are going to have to figure out whether they have a chance. And uh, you may see a, a couple of fire sales, but you'll see a few more teams maybe load up and, and try to help the, appease their fan base a little bit more. Well, I always found it confusing, especially for people trying to get into the game, the fact that there was two trade deadlines, one at the end of Ju- July and another at the end of August. August is the waiver trade deadline, so waivers were involved in the acquisitions there. It just makes logical sense to have one. You got one chance to do it. It's- it certainly does, you know, when you have to clear waivers and, and worry about all those other additional things, you almost lose the uh, the borderline baseball fan or somebody, uh, you, you keep the purists going because they understand it, but for somebody that doesn't, you almost could uh, risk losing interest. So doing it this way, a lot more excitement, a lot more teams still actively in the hunt. So I think you're going to see a fairly active deadline as we move forward in years to come. Toronto Blue Jays traded Marcus Stroman, their key asset. Sunday, I've heard reports that some teams are upset with the return, that the Jays set the market really low in terms of the value they got in return for Stroman. Did you find it a bit head-scratching that they made the deal Sunday and that it was the Mets that went after him? Um, I, I think that they had multiple conversations with multiple teams, and, and in the ask was probably the best prospect, uh, pitching prospects that uh, most teams had to offer. 
uh, teams like the Yankees and, and whatnot weren't ready to give those up. So I think you have to circle back to those kind of B-level targets and the Mets were willing to give two top 10 guys. Um, I, I think the return is fair if it works out. Nobody will know for a few more years. However, when you give up a, a major league player, you tend to ask for you know major league ready players, at least in on the fringe in return. And the fact that we don't have that in these two guys is probably what maybe clouds the judgment of a lot of people. I think in the end, you know, these guys could pan out and and become something decent. Uh, When you draft players that have been drafted in the first two rounds of the draft, they traditionally are impact players. So I I think it'll work out. It might just take some time. Well, and the reality is there's no rush in Toronto, right? They're 26 games below 500 going into tonight. And it's not a team that's expected to contend in the next couple of years for sure. Absolutely. Uh, the, the the talk is always about the competitive window. And when you look at the, what the Yankees and the Red Sox and even the Rays are doing right now, um, there, there's a big, big push for the competitive window to be open for those teams. And while they're doing that, the Jays have a chance to stockpile, get prospects, uh, even get prospects back from some of the teams uh, vis-a-vis the, the Sogard trade uh, to Tampa. And then kind of load up so that when they come out of their competitive window, the Jays will just be getting into it. And, and I think that's really the whole basis of the Stroman trade is his timing of, of uh, where he was going to be at as a professional doesn't quite time with the young core. So if you can get attractive pieces for him now, he's the most attractive he'll ever be because he still has team control and uh, is putting up great numbers. So, But why would the Mets make this trade? That's a very, very good point. Um, you know, not knowing what, what their department's thinking, there's a few different ways to look at it. Either they are going for it, uh, there's an op- opportunity maybe for them to flip Stroman to somebody else to get prospects, or to, you know, lessen the hurt by maybe getting rid of Noah Syndergaard or a few other pieces. There's a lot of rumors floating around with whether they're getting rid of Diaz, their closer, and a few other people as well. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, it does if you think about the hometown play as Marcus grew up close to there and maybe they want to try to build around him. Um, not necessarily my recommendation, but um, them moving Syndergaard is, is less of a surprise because when you throw 99 to 101 miles an hour like he does, I think you're an elbow injury waiting to happen. So this might have been a bit of a backup plan. And, and in New York where money is always flowing, I, I think they can always sign free agents. And if they have Stroman as well, then they can just go for it at any time they want. And maybe they saw the opportunity to get a decent pitcher who is under club control for just one more year after this year and thought, okay, maybe we're not going to make a run this year, but we're going to have the arms to go after it next year in the NL East. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the NL East, Atlanta is having a good year. Um, you don't know if it's sustainable because it's a young core and they haven't you know, had any bumps in the road yet, but that's entirely possible. Philly is kind of stumbling, stumbling a little bit. And then you look at some of the other teams, uh, Washington and the division, they're not run- nobody's running away with it. Uh, adding a Stroman maybe gives you a chance to get a leg up, but if not, you get a chance to do it next year. All right, so let's take a look. We've got basically two months left before the season is done. We we know that pretty much everybody wants more pitching. I think the Red Sox especially need help in the bullpen. The Yankees need starting pitching. All the contenders really need starting pitching, so I don't think there's any surprise when those teams make deals for starting pitching. But of the division leaders, do you feel that Minnesota's in the weakest spot right now? 
I do and I don't simply because I don't know how strong I, I value the division that they're in. So Minnesota needs to add a piece without question, but is it a, you know, is it a piece that they need for the remainder of the regular season to finish in first? I'm not sure about that. They need to add a piece that can beat someone like a Yankee killer or somebody like that, that they're going to get in, in the first couple of rounds of the playoffs. They need to set up their rotation. And I think that's what they're, where their thinking needs to lie. Uh, I was really excited at the rumors of maybe Syndergaard to Minnesota because that would be an absolute shot in the arm. But uh, they're going to get a few guys, uh, I'm sure. Um, and I'm waiting for that one big trade to break amongst the contenders to get everybody else in panic mode and start overpaying for guys as well. Now, one name I've heard floated around is Trevor Bauer, even though Cleveland right now is in this first wild card spot, three and a half games up on Tampa, who is right now on the outside looking in. Uh, notably tossed a, a ball from the pitching mound over the wall in center field in frustration against Kansas City on the weekend, which is something I'd never seen before, but I, I don't mind. It showed up as manager looked like an idiot. But why would the why would Cleveland look to trade one of their best pitchers? They're in the wild card right now. You know what? You look at some of the guys that are available, Bumgarner aside, you know, Bauer, Stroman, these guys seem to come with, you know, a level of baggage or, or, or they don't come without some level of, of conflict in the media or with their teams. When you're in a race and you're still talking about trading a guy and the rumors are still lingering around that their names are out there, to me that says something a little bit about the player. I, I, I don't know him personally, but, you know, some of the antics and some of the previous you know, things that he's been in trouble with, cutting his finger on a drone during a playoff run and some of those other things. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe just his time has expired in Cleveland. And, you know, if, if the ask is right and they get major league players in return, they still have a chance to maybe make a playoff spot. Again, we're talking about the central where the it's not a, a super strong division, but uh, it might just be an opportunity for them to kind of part ways once and for all. Finally, do the Dodgers need to make a move? They seem to be so far ahead of everybody that they, they're probably fine if they don't do anything. Well, their, their advanced scouting you know, needs to be on top of, and it's hard at this point you know, who they're going to match up against and make, make sure that <clears throat> they have the reinforcements for a, you know, a seven-game series against somebody that's going to be good. And if you think you have what you, what you need, then you know, maybe you add bench pieces. Um, but I don't think it would ever hurt to add starting pitching or some sort of level of pitching that can, you know, come in out of the bullpen or, or uh, you know, because you never know what can happen, you know, go down the stretch and then in a seven-game series. I think they have the money. I think they have the personnel, the prospects. They'll make some sort of move, and, and I, I would assume it would be pitching. And last question, the Dodgers and Astros right now have the best records, respectively, in the NL and the AL, so... Who would be the one team in each league that could throw a wrench into a 2017 World Series rematch? You know, it, it's hard to, to look at because I, I look at the rotations and I look at who's kind of set up. And it, it's kind of interesting that nobody's really talking about the Chicago Cubs. Uh, you know, you can look at some of the other teams out there as well in, in the American League East, you know, the Tampa Rays. They seem to be building a bit of a culture. And, and to me, when you put together a team and have a core culture who's to say they don't maybe make a deal here and get a frontline starter and then really put a lot of pressure on that wild card and go so to me in the american league i, I like the idea of tampa um 
and and then with LA, it's it's really hard to ignore what the Dodgers are doing, and I think they've got that sour taste in their mouth from from coming up short a few too many times, and and uh, I think at this point the core is still there, and they're ready to take a run at it, and maybe even take the crown. All right, Jamie, I appreciate your time as always. We'll check in again next month. Take care. Thank you. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?